0: this week's episode of All Angles. I'm your host, Andrew Thomas. This week, I'm sitting down with Kyle Libra. Kyle lives in Brooklyn, New York. He works for Paxos. It is a financial company where he is the director of product and is focused on building Web 3.0 and scaling all of their other platforms to billions of users. He lives in Brooklyn with his wife and two kids. This week, we are going to talk about blockchain, cryptocurrency, and web 3.0. Kyle, thank you for joining me today. I'm really excited to kind of get to know this. I have a very base level knowledge as we've kind of talked about.
1: Sure. Well, thanks for having me, Andrew. I'm excited to have this conversation.
0: Yes. Well, as I like to start with every episode, I want to get to know you a little bit more personally. So when diving into knowing Kyle a little bit, what would your younger self not believe about your life today
1: oh well yeah, a lot of things uh you know the surprise that I managed to get out of missouri uh you know surprised to be living in new york surprised to have a wife and kids sort of no amount of thinking prepares you for how different life is when you start with mm-hmm. a family uh and you're probably most surprising though to be working on things that uh so many people uh touch in their everyday lives
0: yeah no, that makes sense. What do you think is the, what's the big, other than like the big city living and everything of living in New York city, what's the, what is your, I guess what is your favorite part of um, living in New York compared to Missouri?
1: Uh, oh, well, I know people culture come to mind. Uh, wow. you know, we've got a little bit of uh, the best of everything you find in the world. Like any dish on earth you want to eat, yeah. you could probably go out and find it in New York a given day world-class museums Uh, it's fun to take my daughter to something uh that's just a random saturday that someone else uh you know might be a a sort of once a year once in a lifetime trip they had to plan Mm -hmm. for
0: no that makes sense and with you you know you live in there you're working on this the cutting edge of technology and stuff what is your if you were writing an autobiography in 30 years 50 years or whatever what would be the title of this chapter of your life
1: well, I think it's called it, uh, survival of the fittest. Okay. You know, between uh, having two small kids at home, uh, adds a bit of chaos to your life. And then, uh, you know, work at Paxos, like you mentioned, we're rapidly scaling this platform. Uh, we just finally announced uh, some public numbers. We've now scaled the platform. Two years ago, we were touching about less than 10,000 people, and now 360 million users. We think we have a pretty clear path to hit a billion this year. Uh, so, you know, scaling a platform like that uh, doesn't come easy. And it's definitely lots of work. So, I think Survival of the Fittest is uh, a pretty apt title.
0: Yeah, I think that makes sense from, you know, with what you talk about personally with your kids, COVID, navigating all that, living in a big city, doing that. But then with work, I mean, that's some amazing turnaround from going from like 10,000 users to 316 million, basically the whole population of the US at that point. Obviously, knowing it's global, but.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it, it is hard to believe. It's hard to believe. You, you hit, go on something and uh, a lot of people see it pretty quickly.
0: Mm-hmm. How long has Paxos, can you tell me a little bit about that company and everything? Like how? what's your guys' basic story?
1: Sure. So uh, Paxos began back in 2012. Uh, we began as uh, actually Singapore-based crypto exchange. Uh, sort of our thesis then, our thesis today, was that trustworthiness is going to be the differentiator uh, in the crypto ecosystem. And so every step along the way, we've tried to take a path that is the most intentionally regulated and most trustworthy, even if it meant not the fastest or not the easiest. And back in 2012, that meant uh, incorporating an entity in Singapore, right? putting people out in Singapore. This is prior to remote work being the obvious default. And uh, the, at the time, there was some emerging uh, regulatory work. It's only now actually coming to fruition that we thought would be a good framework to wrap our operations in to give it that trustworthy feel. Um, you know, it didn't move as quickly as we thought so 2015 if it moved to us I moved to New York intentionally to be uh, there part of the New York Department of Financial Service emerging regulatory framework and that's still uh, our primary US regulator today. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the exchange itself uh, has grown into what we call uh, the paxos crypto brokerage platform uh, and so we build financial market infrastructure uh, but our crypto brokerage platform in particular is what powers the experience to buy sell hold cryptocurrencies and, and many other applications today uh you know we power things behind the scenes just to name a few in uh, revolute venmo paypal uh, and interactive brokers uh sort of the the major public ones that you, you've probably heard of.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. And so when did you join, when did you join in on this journey of the company?
1: Well, I joined what feels lifetimes ago, and, uh, just before the pandemic, uh, sort of okay. end of uh, 2019, uh, you know, joined to to work on the team and to focus on scaling the platform that's something I'd done in other roles at other software companies. Uh, didn't didn't quite anticipate the amount of scale we were actually gonna see or the amount of customer demand where we're actually going to see. Yeah, uh, you know, obviously though, if I could have predicted that, I'd probably be in a, a different business altogether.
0: <laughs> I'm sure it's just as stressful it probably was, it's probably just as rewarding to kind of see that company grow and everything, and you to be kind of on the, you're a part of that at that point.
1: Definitely, so, definitely. It's been the result of a lot of people putting in a lot of hard work.
0: I'm sure. So let's jump into into blockchain, crypto, like the, the topic that we were going to talk about. Um, you know, I'll be honest, I have base level knowledge. One, I appreciate you sending me all of that, all of that information. I have uh, over the last month of month or two, as we've had this interview kind of set up, I've just been trying to absorb as much information. But I am still what I would say is a novice when it comes to comes to any of this type tech, technology. So like in your simplest way possible to help, you know, are from people who are the, you know, the crypto bros that are like ready to go to people that are like are me that are just trying to learn what this is or have no idea anything about it. How do you explain this technology of blockchain and everything else to someone who may have never heard of it before?
1: Sure. So, so there's like three things you're asking there, like mm-hmm. and blockchain, uh, crypto and Web 3.0. They're all related uh, to sort of get to like how they are related. Uh, like take us back a bit. Uh, so you can think like Web 1.0 is this movement late 90s, early 2000s, sort of the called the read version of the, of the web. It was just like just putting stuff on the internet, which at the time was uh, pretty innovative. Uh, you know, lots of detractors also at the time, like, why do you need this? You can read it in the paper. I, I can't imagine why you want it on the internet. Uh, but you know, we know what happened, uh, many, many things moved online at that point. Uh, this followed with web 2.0, which is like mid two thousands to mid 2010s, the rise of content platforms, uh, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. And we call this period read write. Uh, so Web 1.0, you can just read information, but then Web 2.0, the innovation is these platforms where you could actually write your own, put power back in the hands of the creators, uh, you know, lessen the power of the mainstream media. People were able to, you know, like an athlete or someone could instantly put something out there, tens of million people see it instantly. disintermediated how news and information was spread. And so what's happening now is called Web 3.0, and this is. Uh, the transition to own. So read, write, own. And uh, this next big wave is the next phase change in the internet and that the own piece is where tokenization comes in. Uh, So a large part of this next wave will be uh, building things and things being built where the individual users providing the value and contributing will actually be able to own parts of those platforms in an easy, understandable and interoperable way. Um, You know, it's interesting. There's a Goldman Sachs report from a few weeks ago that actually says, "Tags currently, Web 3.0 is potentially eight trillion dollar opportunity." You have Facebook rebranding to Meta meta to to jump into the metaverse, sort of term that has been uh, bounced about, uh, but it's been around for a long time. Sort of talk about this Web 3.0 world. And so, where crypto and blockchain come in, uh, starting like the most basic thing, like crypto is, is the general term for Cryptocurrencies, the tokens that you know, most people interact with, you just buy or sell or trade. Uh, and blockchain is sort of the term most people use to talk about uh, the protocol layer the things those are built on top of. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'll give you a couple of examples there. Uh, Bitcoin, I, you know, I haven't t- checked the price today. I uh, call it like $40,000 maybe today. Uh, Okay, that's like the crypto Bitcoin, you can buy and sell that on an exchange, you can buy it on our regulated exchange if you'd like, you buy it through one of our partners. Uh, and you can sell it and it, it is largely like buying and selling any other asset. Uh, but what is different and revolutionary is the technology it's built on. And that's the blockchain. And Bitcoin was the first, uh, there's been many, many innovations since then, there'll be many still to come in the future. And the blockchain is this idea uh, this decentralized ledger where uh, many different participants work in consensus uh, to make it work uh, they have different uh, different aspects you could public or private there's different things around permissions you can do a uh, bitcoin being the first uh, has a lot more it's a lot more about transparency it's a lot more about all participants being part of it uh and the bitcoin the crypto is uh you know, what is on top of this, and one of the incentive mechanisms that's used uh, to power or or convince people to power the infrastructure behind the scenes. Uh, but I think just another way of thinking about blockchains is, is they're just ledgers to store information. Uh, but when you can store information in a way where everyone uh, has higher confidence in it being source of truth and, and can do different things with that, that's where these really interesting use cases in Web 3.0
0: will emerge. Okay. lot I think a lot to unpack and obviously, you know, our our topic is there's one, it's a dense subject, but then we are doing three dense subjects all kind of in one. And so let's, I want to get kind of a specific, let's focus on blockchain for right now. Um, What, how is some of that, how is blockchain technology kind of being used today, maybe in a practical way? Like what are some of the applications that an everyday user like myself might you might see it.
1: Yeah, so I think, I think some of the use cases you might encounter, maybe the easiest ones start with this concept of provenance. Uh, so in the art world, uh, a large part of what dictates the value of a piece of art is provenance, mm-hmm. uh, or like a chain of custody, like who owned it? Uh, you know, Does it actually come from the original painter You know, 300 years ago? Can you prove who has owned it over the years? Uh, and right now that system is, is fairly opaque. Uh, you know, it's, it's built on trust. It is sort of like, well, you know, the person before me pegged at this value and they said, this is the the guy before me, they got it from, and then so on. And so provenance of very diff- many different things, not just art is being used by blockchain. So it's this immutable way to show a public ledger of where, who has owned something. Uh, and you can see how if you had that for hundreds of years of art, it, it, Removes the ability to have forgeries or have fakes. Um, you know, supply chains is a huge part of that. Uh, we're seeing a lot of use cases. Uh, you know, you might not realize or care that the blockchain behind the scenes. I think a lot of these cases, the average consumer won't care or no, they'll just get the benefits. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Say supply chain with there's uh, you know, think of the produce you eat in your refrigerator. Uh, like think of when there's a the salmonella outbreak. Uh, you know, they they do their best to protect people, and they're like, well, you know, we think like these three states might be at risk yeah Uh, and that's you know that's that's not very accurate uh but you have a system like this and there's there's a lot of companies working on this use case as well like okay well you could know like well actually like you could only look at well it's it's in this specific town because you could track everything from when that piece of lettuce left the farm to everywhere it went everything it touched and infected and where those went the truck it was on rather than just trying to say like well this is like the smallest area we can be certain and it's you know sorry, it's like 15% of the US population. affected. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always start with Providence, I think that concept is like a, a pretty easy one to grasp with it. It's a very obvious current term use cases for blockchain.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So obviously, I know you like from your examples, the I the first thing I think about when you mentioned RN and stuff is like the NFTs and how that has kind of blown up, obviously, understanding that a little bit, I actually just had a conversation today with a couple buddies about it. So we we won't dive in NFTs because that's probably a whole nother that's a whole another podcast, but I'm very interested on this idea of supply chains. Like what you said, the outbreak, are you seeing, I imagine we're just kind of in the very beginning of that, uh, adoption then at that point.
1: Yeah. I think, I think we're definitely early days overall with all this technology. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can think about it with a wider lens that just all the places in the world where transparency. Speed, removal of friction, and it provides value to end users. Whether it's sort of just making things happen faster or making them happen cheaper, and those are mm-hmm. all going to be applications that I think people are going to attempt to apply uh, blockchain to.
0: Interesting. Okay. And when do you think, if you guys, I don't know how much you guys are projecting and stuff, but when do you think a lot of you will see a lot of that adoption? Like, if I'm, if I should be prep, obviously it's very early now, but is it five years? Is it one year? Ten years? What does that kind of look like, where you see like a widespread, everyone using blockchain?
1: Well, I think all these different use cases are all going to inevitably be on different timelines. Um, you know, I can think of some other use cases uh, like cross-border remittances is a large one. Uh, and I think this is happening every day uh, right now, and I think this one is fairly imminent. So right now in the world, if, if you know we're in the US and uh, you know we had the luxury to grow up here, if you didn't, there's a huge portion of the population that immigrates here and works here and then sends money uh, to families that are in different physical countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's not a particularly good reason about why it's very slow and very expensive to do that other than they've had to cross the physical border. The money has ha- crossed a physical border even though it's obviously handled by computers now. Um, and there are gatekeepers that, that sit and exist and control that. And so you know, to send money home, you send in small increments, it could take 24, 48, 72 hours, uh, which is sort of wild to think that the, the world we live in, uh, that's that's even a thing. And so okay. so one of the applications of blockchain that we think is happening imminently, that we're working on, that we're very excited about is uh, the tokenization of actual US dollars. So uh, we have tens of billions of dollars in, in bank accounts uh, that represent tokens we've issued on chain. Mm-hmm. And we do this in a way that we guarantee one-to-one These dollars exist uh, in these bank accounts and, uh, you know, third party attestation process and auditing to just help prove that it's all trustworthy. Uh, But these tokens exist on on certain blockchains. And as time goes on, we'll add them to other blockchains as those emerge. And you can instead of sending dollars through the banking system to a foreign country, you can send this tokenized version of dollars uh, and we can do it nearly instantly and at next to zero fees. Um, so it's still another use case where it's, it's blockchain powering that behind the scenes. We think it's happening very quickly. Well, we know it's happening very quickly because we see the numbers, of adoption every day. Uh, but you know, it's something where the end user you know, probably doesn't care a whole lot. It's blockchain. They care more about the value it creates. They care about the speed and reduced fees, uh, and, and they probably don't think a whole lot about the technology. You know, that they have other problems they're focused on in their lives.
0: Yeah. No, that makes sense. They're they're they just want to see the money go from like kind of like a Venmo or whatever, just instantaneously over there without you know if you're gonna send a hundred bucks without seven to ten dollars coming out. Okay, well that I, that's I think that's very helpful for me to just kind of digest where blockchain can be used on that day to day, whether that's the supply chain and kind of that tracking there, but even I think the the example that you give with um, sending money overseas or whatever that that makes sense as well let's do let's ask the same question for uh, web 3.0 because i'm kind of curious is what are some of the ways that in every like how is my day-to-day life changing um because of web
1: 3.0 sure so I mean we, we can uh use the nft example maybe we'll think of a different one okay. um but you know you think of all, all the ways in your in your life you interact with something where you own some piece of something like let's say maybe you own your house currently that system works with a title company uh you know they charge you a couple thousand dollars to change possession of the house uh their sole purpose is to maintain a ledger of who owned that property beforehand Mm -hmm. Uh, i vary state by state city by city about like the rules in which they operate but it's sensibly all set up so like you know, there's control, and there's like an organized system for who owns what. Um, You know, you might take it for granted, you just like take your keys and go into your house, but there's a system that maintains that behind the scenes. Uh, And the system is actually really bad. There's no reason, you know, to essentially look something up anywhere, even on a sheet of paper, it should cost you thousands of dollars, but there's incumbents that control and uh, rent seeking in terms of how they they stranglehold the system currently. and they don't actually do what they claim they do. Uh, there's constantly legal disputes, uh, you know, where like two title companies claim something that that didn't agree, and like that you can't actually figure out who owned, let say, just property in this example. Uh, but this is an example where I think Web3.0 will touch your life uh, when you have some sort of tokenized version of this, and you have a ledger that's immutable, and you have all the parties cooperating in a way that you totally agree. Uh, because of these consensus mechanisms, what's happening, you avoid these scenarios uh, that happen with existing title companies, say for property. And uh, not to mention, when you do this in a decentralized way, you remove these gatekeepers that are ultimately rent-seeking and charging exoburnet fees for what's you know, very little value to be added to the average consumer. Uh, and so that sort of idea, I think, is going to be applied in many different parts of society in terms of ownership. But Uh, I think how it surfaces you, you're not going to be thinking like, oh, well, you know, this is a tokenized version. It's running on this blockchain because this blockchain has certain attributes that make this use case a little better. Uh, You're you're ultimately going to interact with that the same way you interact with other technology today. It's probably going to surface some app that's going to be far more user-friendly. You know, it's going to show you like a a pie graph or something like, yeah, you own 100% of this or you own, you know, some percentage of this, that sort of thing. And I think a lot of these are going to ultimately, impact in users in a much more user friendly way. Whereas blockchain or web 3.0 and this read, write, own uh, evolution of the web is going to be the behind the scenes infrastructure, making it all happen.
0: Mm. I mean, it sounds, this is a large, it seems like this is a shakeup from how things have been run just from the example of a house, but you know, you do anything that you own house, car, boat, anything like that. It's a, a massive shakeup on, on that on that system in place do you see are you guys seeing pushback on that or are people like let's do it this has been you know this has been bullshit this entire time so we're gonna we're gonna we're adopting it today
1: well i mean generally whenever there's there's incumbents that are getting disrupted they're not exactly going to sit there and take it uh that's been true for the history of the world uh i think it's definitely true today uh the specific point of view of paxos is uh you know, we're in sort of the pickaxe and, and shovels business. If you think about the gold rush, the people that really made money were the people supplying the miners to the tools, not the, the miners that were actually speculating, trying to mine the gold. And so our approach is that uh, we want to provide the infrastructure for many partners to make these things happen. Um, you know We think there's going to be many different winners in terms of protocols or blockchains, many different use cases. Uh, like I said before, they're having a different timelines, and and our goal in all of this is to be the technology provider, just facilitating that behind the scenes.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you want to make it to where my user friendly experience is just the like you said, a pie graph or an easy app that I can just click on and just get to see the benefits of this new this new Web 3.0.
1: Yeah, and even that will be a partner of ours who's chosen us to power their offering behind the scenes. And a, that'll mm-hmm. be a piece they control and own and interact with you. And then we think it'll be, uh, to be a, like a symbiotic relationship there in terms of everyone's needs being met. And uh, you know, many of the current gatekeepers, I think, are going to, and we're seeing this, uh, they're going to realize this is the future. This is where we're headed. And instead of trying to fight it, they will either try to build their own solutions or a partner someone like us and just get on board.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, with you, kind of have to join, join or die off, right? That's with any any new technology that happened. Probably with each integration of the new web, that you would have those gatekeepers kind of leave. So, what are what are maybe some of the biggest misconceptions about blockchain?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of this is is uh, just so much of the focus uh, around the speculation of price, the volatility. Uh, there's, there's tons of assets that are traded every day that have tons of volatility, um, you know, saying people make a logical jump saying crypto will never work for payments because Bitcoin has been volatile in the past. And uh, that might be true. Uh, but it doesn't mean the underlying technology can't continue to be evolved, iterated on, so that ultimately is a good uh, application for payments. Uh, you know, talk about what we mentioned earlier, our tokenized use of dollars, which we call stable coins. Uh, well, when there's exactly one token for every $1, the price, like the name implies, is pretty stable. Uh, and that actually we find is very good for payments. Uh, you know, People don't want the price to vary, uh, you know, like someone handed you the coffee, they said it's $5. You hit it at $5. They're just kidding, it's $6 now, like that obviously isn't going to work. Um, so I think a lot of those misconceptions, the first part is just around, you know, where we are in the technology cycle and a lack of acknowledgement that it's very early and a lot of these things are gonna be proven. And iterated on uh, for many many years to come. Uh, and I think the second area is all the stuff about fraud and crime. Uh, you know, it makes for fun, exciting, splashy headlines. Uh, but the reality is, like every year, the numbers and the percentages decrease, and there's less and less and less of that. And companies, uh, especially us, are, like actively working on measures in, in conjunction, even with competitors, sometimes to make this so it cannot be a thing. Um, You know, I think one of the amazing attributes of blockchain is the fact that these things are searchable going back to the beginning of history. Mm -hmm. Uh, So one of the really cool mechanisms to fight fraud is if you find some new instance of fraud, you can take that paper trail that everyone has access to and you can go back and figure out everything else that was done. So over time, it becomes harder and harder and harder to even commit those things. Uh, but I think the reality is the media for some time in the future is going to continue to harp on that because that's you know a good sensationalist headline to put out there, even though for quite a while there hasn't really been data to to support that thesis.
0: Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So could you explain to me just so I understand if I if I wanted to go back and see um, I've been thinking about this as you as you've been kind of talking about it, with the the fraud concept, if I want to go back and see the blockchain of like who's owning and stuff, is there is it like do I go to Paxos and that's where I go to kind of see that ledger or how to do, how does someone's I, that's something I've never understood. I kind of understand the basics of like blockchain, but I've never understood like where is this ledger being hosted? And maybe that's a maybe that's a very dumb question, but I'm, so, I'm I have to know.
1: <laughs> so like, uh, no. well, there's a couple things to unpack. Let's start with the where's the host hosted? Work backwards. Uh, there's yet another aspect that varies by blockchain. Uh, you know, People are trying to do slightly different ways of it. it and I'll use like an overgeneralizing example here. Uh, uh, say for Bitcoin, uh, there's this idea that it's, it's all like nodes on a network. It's a decentralized network. Uh, so people are running, uh, just say for sake of example, like you're running the software on your computer, your computer is connected to the internet your computer is uh, using its computational power to uh, verify what is happening on the blockchain as new blocks are added to it, as new data is added to it. Um, and as long as the majority of the network agrees on what is happening, you know that's accepted as truth, and it moves on. Uh, and so these networks have thousands, tens of thousands of participants. Um, yeah, you know, it's advanced enough that you can't really do this with a personal computer. It's, you know, highly specialized, very large systems doing this. Uh, but it's all these participants acting uh, in a way that they all have mutually aligned incentives. So they get rewarded like in the case of Bitcoin, uh, you get rewarded with Bitcoin itself. And, you know, if you think the values continue to go up, that, that becomes a pretty motivating factor to support and help grow this network by your participation. Um, and so that's where the decentralized piece of all this is. It's it almost, in most cases, in most protocols, you know, it's many, many different participants with you know, some sort of computer connected to the internet and connected to this blockchain network that's it's furthering it along. Um, and then depending on the characteristics of the blockchain, the vast majority are fairly public and transparent. And people build tools on top of them that you know, often called block explorers or explorers that are, you know, like websites that help you uh, look at what has happened. So um, to tie that together, let's say uh, I was going to send you some Bitcoin right now. Um, You know, you would have a wallet. I would have a wallet. These things have addresses, so I might send you a hundred dollars with Bitcoin to your wallet address, Uh, depending on how I'm doing that. That system is trying to push that transaction up to the blockchain to have it confirmed. The confirming is happening by participation uh, of the nodes on the network, which are you know, computers and individuals. Uh, and once it's confirmed, you know, that's part of the immutable ledger. So then you could, well, one, you'll receive it and then two, uh, a third party could go back and look. And if they knew the address of your wallet, they could go and search by your wallet and see like, oh, at this time, this other wallet sent you this amount of this currency. Mm-hmm. Um, And so from that, you can build pretty complex algorithms to start to figure out and and map together behavior. Uh, And once you you know know that that is your wallet, uh, you've suddenly got a record of every other transaction you've ever done. And you can see how at scale, uh, engineers can start to piece together the history or transaction history of of how people behaved in the past, which is, I think, one of the really powerful pieces of transparency that you know, it can't just be that you sort of like claim something. And it's like, well, no, it's proof. There's proof. Show us the proof, and everyone has access. So there's no way of hiding the truth.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. Thank you for explaining that. I was, as you were just talking through some of the different things, it was just like I need to know, like where do I, like where does that make sense? So, I, I think from your explanation, that makes sense a little bit for me. Hopefully, the listeners too. Just if they, again, if they're someone like me who just very basic knowledge, then um, they can follow that. But let's so kind of moving into I want, I want to talk about crypto i think a little bit more with with this conversation as we we continue to talk about blockchain you bring it up where um where does cryptocurrency kind of fit overall in this blockchain conversation like how how transformative is that is this technology going to be
1: so you know the part of the own part of Web 3.0, this read, write, and now own. Uh, so a lot of the blockchains, and for sake of argument, let's just say blockchain, it's the same as a protocol. There, there's some nuance there we don't need to get into. Uh, so you're, you're launching a new blockchain today. Uh, well, is, is it is based on some token or some crypto? Um, yeah, like Solana is an example of, of one of the emerging popular ones. They've launched some interesting payment use cases this week. Uh, so like Solana is a token or a crypto that you can buy and sell and speculate on like any other cryptocurrency, but it is a part of this blockchain, um, and, you know, Solana is an easy one to grasp because their use case is actually payments. And so they've optimized in terms of the attributes, uh, for speed, extreme speed, low fees, and uh, high transaction throughput. Uh, so like credit card networks, you know, depending on who you ask, they say something like. Visa can support you know between five and six thousand transactions per second uh, you know at, at very high uptime standards. And so Solana, if you want to disrupt payments, you know you have able to beat that. I don't know what their latest numbers. I think it's like in the tens of thousands per second. Um, but you can see how like that's sort of the use case of the blockchain. They want you to ultimately build payments infrastructure on that. Um, but the actual cryptocurrency as part of that process is is Solana as well. And it's, you know, something you buy, sell, trade, I could send it to your wallet. Uh, you know, it's price fluctuates up and down and uh, back to the decentralized nature of these things, it's, it's one of the mechanisms that it's given uh, to participants uh, to incentivize uh, being on the network and participating in the network itself.
0: So when you talk about it with price kind of fluctuating up and down and it's it being a currency, how does that, how is that different from like I guess trading a stock or anything like that. So, you know, prices obviously fluctuate. If I think about, cause I compare a cryptocurrency to like a nap like a dollar a pound or anything else. And obviously those fluctuate as well, but they're, I guess they're backed by the state. While this is just backed by people in general, right? It's kind of worth. So how, I guess that's been the hardest part, I think for me to fully understand is just, where is that benefit so could you just even briefly just kind of explain to me what's the benefit of crypto outside of the decentralization because like i understand that piece of it but that's been the hardest thing for me to fluctuate of like you know is it going to take one day is it ten dollars or ten bitcoin for some milk and then two seconds later it's fifteen dollars because everyone thinks it's worth more money or something does that make sense
1: yeah well like the price of everything fluctuates uh I think it's the better way to look at it. Some things are just immediately obvious because there's better price discovery. Mm -hmm. Like uh, something that uh, trades on an exchange has what we call high liquidity, lots of people buying it, selling it at high volumes, which means you can hone in on agreed upon price from a lot of people. So there's like good price discovery there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Say use the the carton of milk. Uh, There's very poor price discovery in one way. I mean, you've got the label it's on, you know, and you might notice, happen to notice, it's uh, uh, actually going up over time, uh, but then you pay for it in dollars. And, uh, you know, dollars is even harder to understand, like, you know, the value of your dollars, uh, but history has shown, and ultimately purchasing power goes do- down over time if you create more dollars, uh, you know, print more dollars like the government's doing. Uh, you know, and then it's funny, you, you mentioned crypto is just people, but uh, like, I hate to break it to you, the government is just people also, uh, we just, Happened to be living through a period of of unparalleled stability in terms of government institutions. Uh, that was definitely not always the case. Uh, you know, like even back 150 years ago, like states printed their own money. There's this like whole thing called wildcat banking uh, that that caused absolute chaos and eventually got clamped down on because uh, there's high value in having an extremely stable uh, currency system. But it's just people, and, and you're, we're fortunate to live in. Uh, The US, which is sort of de facto reserve currency of the world, the the most stable of all the currencies uh, generally, Uh, but if you look at a lot of other currencies, uh, there are currencies like Argentina, where you might have 50% inflation per year. So back to that carton of milk, maybe it cost four bucks uh, today, might cost like six bucks next week. And that that would be a normal uh, situation for you. so so back to the the core of your question you know like the the price movement and the volatility uh it's more that for many different assets classes, that's the case uh you know, some parts of some cryptocurrencies are designed with lack of volatility in mind uh some that's just sort of in their nature uh, you know but over time those things will change and and if the people behind these things have done their job right uh you know, the and adoption really happens, uh, ultimately, those attributes, uh, you know, should map to a use case. Uh, otherwise, the, the team that built it did something wrong. For instance, you built something that's, that's mapped to payments, and it ultimately has extremely high volatility. Well, I mean, probably no one's going to adopt it, probably no one's going to use it. Um, and probably not going to use for payments. Uh, that doesn't mean it might be uh, something that people enjoy speculating on.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm sure I heard as I was like trying to formulate my question there, you were kind of smiling and stuff like, I'm sure that's a very common question for people. Get. And you're right, right? The state fluctuates. We know, obviously, in the time that we live, we're recording this in uh, the beginning of February, where the state, like the US has printed trillions of dollars. Like, we don't know what's going to happen. Dollars are fluctuating, inflation's up, like all that stuff happens. And maybe I think probably a lot of people's reservations right now is just because crypto is so so new right they've all they've had these trusted institutions of the state but crypto doesn't have that at least but it's doesn't mean it's any different than any of the states
1: yeah i think a better measure of staying power is adoption um mm-hmm. you know we, we have full countries adopting bitcoin as a reserve currency you know salvador has done this although the international Monetary fund has now asked them not to uh in conjunction with a loan conversation um But, you know, I think one of the interesting things we'll see in the next decade is uh, I think there'll be countries on Earth that remove or at least supplement their existing fiat currency with some sort of crypto approach, you know, whether it's going full Bitcoin, probably not given the price volatility, uh, but, you know, it could be other other forms of uh, tokenization or ultimately a tokenized version of of the local uh, fiat currency that just allows Interaction in digital forms, uh, reduce wow. friction, increase speed, reduce fees, that sort of thing.
0: Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Do you think the US will ever get there in a decade? Or do you think that we're probably a little bit, since we are that reserve currency, it's probably a little bit farther out?
1: Yeah. I and mean, there's, there's interesting, uh, there's, there's like a working group within the White House on stable coins. Uh, you know, actually, it would have been before Christmas, but, uh, you know, our CEO, among others, testified before. Congress about it. I, I think that the U.S. will eventually get smart and realize uh, that it's very much in our uh, called foreign policy interest that uh, as crypto grows, and has increased uh, adoption. That the U.S.-backed U.S. dollar portion of this is a huge part of it, and there's not an opportunity for some other country's fiat currency to take that take those reins. Uh, you know, but I think this is a regulation is a very good thing. The U.S. will force it to be done, and really trustworthy, regulated way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, a balance of those two things is definitely going to happen. Um, but you know, as we bring it back to the beginning of the conversation, if those things happen, I think for you, the average person, even if it's dollars on the blockchain, that are tokenized, uh, you know, your payment interaction is still gonna be handing like a card to someone, it's going to be using your phone, it, it's going to be abstracted away in a good user experience that you don't have to know if you don't care, and you largely don't think about it.
0: Yeah, that, that's a good point for and That's part of that, I think, for the people who wanna get into the tech details, that's where blockchain will be seen. But for someone like me, again, the card, but it's all backed by that blockchain. So um, kind of thinking, we've touched on a couple of my other questions just as we've been having, you know, floating through this conversation. But I, I think one that I wanted to make sure that we dive into was kind of going into this micro level is how is crypto having an impact on most people today? Like if you're not an investor in it and you're watching it, you know, you're taking it to the moon or doing anything like that, like how is crypto, how is crypto like working for the average person?
1: Well, I think bombarded by headlines in the media about it is probably the number one case. Uh, yeah. But I think that the more the slightly more practical answer is that more and more applications that you use on your phone uh, or on the web uh, are, are putting crypto front and center uh i you know we're now reaching hundreds of millions of users through this and maybe you're not actually in there buying or selling but you're seeing a price feed you're seeing the option to do that um you know there, there was an announcement in the wall street journal this past week that over 300 community banks are going to try to launch uh, crypto offerings direct to consumers this year uh and we see more and more other mainstream financial institutions uh, you know making those plans uh you know, so I think at the very least, you're going to see price feeds in many different places in the short term if you're not already.
0: Okay. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess that makes sense with the with blockchain and crypto. You you kind of mentioned some short. We've we've kind of touched on some short term, long term stuff. Could you just simplify that out for our listeners? Like, where where do you see those two technologies? Or you know, obviously they're linked a little bit, but where do you see those going in the next like one five ten year time frame
1: yeah i mean i think the biggest thing for consumers anything you do that touches the current financial system uh there could be emerging technologies powered by blockchain going to do that emerge that current thing faster and it's going to do it cheaper mm-hmm. and as more and more uh partners of ours hopefully uh get into that space and do it and this is like the beauty of competition it'll force a, a race the bottom in terms of the fastest things must win, the cheapest things must win. And I think that's ultimately gonna be a really big win uh, for consumers.
0: Okay. Kyle, I wanted to thank you for kind of taking me through the very, like all these, all these questions and everything else, really explaining in depth what what this technology is. Cause I think, again, it's still new for a lot of a lot of people. For some people it's been around for forever and it, it's been a thing, but for others it's like, this is, as you saw, talked about the news media is now just like pumping out articles about it. And so I appreciate kind of you explaining it. For if people, if our listeners wanted to, to learn a little bit more, right, really wanted to dive in could you share some resources that uh, that they should be kind of uh, going to, to kind of learn a little bit more about blockchain, web point, Web 3.0, and crypto? Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, well, uh, it depends on what you're trying to accomplish, you know, because it's, it's pretty broad, but I think there's uh, a lot of interesting content, but also a lot of noise. Uh, you know, I think one of the things I've done personally, uh, you know, it's just, uh, you know, attempt to, to use these different things, attempt to, like, open, uh, like, you know, pick NFT as an example, like, you know, create an account in one of these places and try to understand how it how it works, try to understand what people are doing. Um, You know, personally, I find by doing is the easiest way to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it just matters, like, you know, what depth. Uh, do you really want to dig in and read? you want to read You know, trade publications? Do you want to see what just the mainstream media is thinking about it? I uh, you know in a lot of the places where they offer investment opportunity, there's there's tons and tons and tons of resources to read and understand the differences between uh, you know, the different cryptocurrencies or the technologies behind them. So it's uh, you know it's it's everywhere if you want to look.
0: Ah, yeah, that's fair. What I'll do is in the in the bio of the episode, I'll also share out some of those resources that you you shared with me, either that Goldman Sachs report or you know from our very first email, those like ten different like news articles, websites, all of that. That way, if people are interested, obviously those are probably ones that you've turned to or you have referenced before for people. So I will share that in the bio as well, and I think that will be kind of helpful. Um, well, that that's all the questions I have for crypto. But I always like to end my podcast with some final like get to know you questions, right? Is we we start out with with getting to know you, and I want to end with that kind of getting to know. So, what is the most unexplainable thing that has ever happened to you
1: oh the most unexplainable thing uh yeah i mean like early in uh social media days i you know, i had a decent following and uh uh it's just like before influencer was a term i you know i a company uh, gave me a free car that's still i'm uh sort of like wrapping my head around uh like why on earth they did that i mean it was cool it was a car uh that that's still pretty up there just uh hard to wrap my head around like that mm-hmm. that actually did happen
0: you were able to get that car no that would be i think any time that you can get something especially like a car or something free like that that is that is huge and unexpected what my final question for you is what are you still trying to prove to yourself
1: yeah well i, I don't think there's anything uh Trying to prove to myself right now, there are things I want to prove I am capable of doing. You know, because I'm at a point in my career, pretty uh, certain in my skills, my abilities, my experiences, but then also just like focused on uh, surviving day to day with my family. Uh, but I would say something big in the future, still at some point, looking for the right timing to do is it, prove to myself that I can ultimately start a company. Uh, I've worked at a lot of early stage and growth stage startups. Um, you know, I had Nice exits and, and made some founders very wealthy Um, you know I want to see if uh, if my job within these companies is, is building unique new products and coming up with these things you know. Could I really do it without the uh, safety net of a well funded company behind me, could I do it, you know as the founder uh, start from scratch so uh, got a long, long time ahead of me to do that one and just all about finding the right timing.
0: Yeah, I think that's a perfect, perfect goal for yourself. If you're, if you're there doing, doing what you said, then why not do it yourself? And you can be the one who has some, hire someone to make you wealthy. Kyle, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me tonight. I, you know, dive into the, again, these dense subjects to kind of, to kind of walk me through it and walk our listeners through it, but really appreciate the time, excited for this episode to release and, um, you know, for our listeners to learn just a little bit more about crypto from all angles.
1: Yeah, well thanks for having me, I enjoyed it.